Welcome to The Tech Entrepreneur, a podcast for business entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investors who want to do more with technology, accelerate their business, and avoid the pitfalls of software development. Hello, and welcome to The Tech Entrepreneur podcast, the podcast dedicated to applying technology to real-world business problems. My name is Phil Telfer, and I'm the co-founder of Clear Sky Logic, a tech agency based in Edinburgh. Continuing with our current theme of energy, my guest today is Ian Parry, co-founder of Daisy Rock, who has a long history as a consultant and leader in the energy industry. So, Ian, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Phil. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Would you mind telling us briefly about your background so far and how you got to where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. I've been super lucky over the years. I've worked for some wonderful energy companies. I spent... Uh, the sort of formative years of my career at British Gas, 13 years in total there, sort of learning my trade. It was at a point where the energy industry was opening up to competitions. It was a wonderfully exciting time there. After I was at British Gas, I then went into consultancy with a couple of different companies, J-Wing and Experian, where I got to experience life still within the energy industry, but outside of British Gas and working with some wonderful people across the industry and experiencing some really new things, which was great and super exciting for me. More recently, I've worked in a number of startups, helping the likes of Pure Planet, Social Energy, and more recently, Colorado Energy, who are owned by Home Hero Startup. And that sort of difference between the sort of large juggernaut of of British Gas and some of the big six, and then helping at the very beginning, uh, the outset of an energy company. It's um, Those are the, definitely the times where I learned the most about exactly what this energy industry is all about. It's mm, great to have a real range of experience there. What do you think are the main sort of changes that you've seen in the industry since those early roles that you've been talking about? Yeah, I mean, it, it clearly, I think, competition has worked. It's worked in the sense that, we, we're now no longer talking about the big six. You know, you've got the likes of Ovo and Octopus and Bulb really sort of competing with the big guys. I mean, if you look this week, both Bulb and Octopus have been sort of shown as the fastest growing companies in, in you know, across the whole of Europe. So that's been sort of engineered, if you like, by this sort of wonderfully open energy market. You could argue as to whether consumers are in a better position or worse as a result of, of some of this, whether it's created better pricing or not, whether it's created more confusion. I think if you look at the number of customers that have switched, that's definitely a positive thing. But I think what runs through the whole of this is is technology and how technology has helped to sort of make things better across the energy industry, whether it's the rollout of smart metering, whether it's the the use of apps and, and robotics and AI uh, within the energy industry, whether it's sort of from a trading point of view, right at the very sort of downstream within the industry, or whether it's, you know, consumers engaging with bots um, via an app. You know, it's a great industry to be part of. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? There's, there's so much um, potential, so much exciting activity in the market. I mean, some of the companies you mentioned there—they've become real sort of household names now. They've really popped up above the the world of energy, and they're actually now just businesses that people are, are very familiar with, and they've just become so so successful. Yeah, particularly if you think of you know Ovo, they're certainly a little bit older than the, than the newest guys, but recently purchased SSE Retail. I mean, who would have thought that? That's just such a 
a switch in this industry and they've always been you know a, a great customer advocate although along the way and they've always come in to sort of disrupt the market but who would have thought even three years ago that Ovo would have picked up you know one of the previous big six mm, yeah that's great i mean talking about disruption you had previously mentioned uh, working with pure planet that's such an interesting take on the energy industry a particular sort of digital first approach so particular interest here can you tell us what your involvement was with pure planet and how that came about yeah absolutely i was lucky enough to speak with the founders at the, at the very beginning of, of the business actually and lucky to be the sort of first permanent employee after the founders there were a number of contractors in place a number of trusted advisors that were helping the business get off the ground the intention there was these guys were ex sort of telco leaders and they were part of the setup of Virgin Mobile with Richard Branson in, in the 90s. So you could really sense a, a difference in what they were looking to bring to the market. So, you know, straight off the bat, they were not wanting to work with the, the market switching sites. They were not wanting to offer multiple tariffs. They wanted one very simple tariff. They didn't want any confusion. And ultimately, within that tariff as well, they didn't want to charge the customer any more than they were buying the energy for, which was unheard of in the market at that point. Amongst all of that, the other thing that they were really driving for was to become the first app-only energy company in the UK. And that was you know, where, where you know, technology was doing all the heavy lifting, whether you look at the service offering uh, that they were looking to bring as well. It was you know, simple things like not offering a, an inbound telephone number, which seemed, you know, a, a crazy idea, but one that their customers sort of really took on board and, you know, about self-serving or looking to self-serve more often. But they, they, they understood this from the very beginning that some customers were going to enjoy the proposition and really sort of become very sort of linked in with it and, and they really sort of liked it and, and others didn't want to. And that I guess that's the great thing about competition is you can decide who you go to. Yeah, it's quite a polarising decision, isn't it? It's for someone to say that we're not going to have any kind of call centre at all. You're only going to have a means for content to us in a digital way. It's quite a brave move, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I guess the, the way they did it is they flipped it and said, hey, we know what you don't want to do, which you don't want to wait on an IVR system listening to, to some sort of green sleeves melody hitting you for 30 minutes. What they wanted to do was say, well, you know, we, we're giving you an app so you can self-serve. We're also giving you a community of other customers that can possibly answer your question as well. So go to the community, similar to, to the way GifGaf originated. Go to the community, see if you can find your answers there. Um, there's also a, a, a sort of a bot. They they call it WhatBot, and that really helped to sort of take out a lot of those really simple questions. You know, what's my direct debit value? When will I be switching to you? Some of those things that are high volume mm. but simple. And again, who wants to wait to have those questions answered on a call for thirty minutes? You know, that's a total waste of my my time and yours. But ultimately, if you got to the point where you you went through all of those processes and you still didn't get your answer. We would call you back. So, so Pure Plant would then call you back. So you could arrange for them to call you. So it wasn't that they didn't want to speak to customers. It was all customer-led and customer-centered. So it was, you know, very much if you want to come to the first app-only energy company in the UK, that's because you want to self-serve. 
you would assume. But there are times when you have to speak to somebody and they offered that very clearly. But what they wanted to step away from was the traditional approach where, you know, you've got vast contact centers that still don't serve customers particularly well. Do you think that's still an option then for energy companies to have large call centers that are calling customers day in, day out? It's an interesting question because you still have that consumers within the market still want to speak to people. And one of the challenges that we had even at Pure Planet was trying to sort of show people that it wasn't a bad idea that we didn't have a telephone number. We would still speak to you and just changing some some of the behaviours around, you know, the first reaction isn't or shouldn't be, I need to pick up the phone to speak to them. There's a different approach here. So I think clearly consumers still want to call into a contact centre. They still want to speak to somebody. There's still, you know, a, a reasonable percentage of, of the UK that don't want to go down that digital route. And, and clearly, you know, Ofgem want to, as a regulator, want to keep all of these channels open so that consumers don't feel like they're getting a raw deal from, from consumers. So I think, yes, that those those channels should still be open because consumers still want it. But there's definitely a, um, I don't know whether you'd call it an education process, but there's definitely some testing to be done to sort of try and gently wean customers off having to call through because nobody wants to pick up the phone and, and go through a, a three-stage IVR process to then be told that their call is important to them, but still having to wait anyway. Yeah, you mentioned something there about crowdsourcing where people could help one another and help them solve particular problems through, you know, writing articles and blogs and that kind of thing, which is really interesting. I wanted to ask you about how to potentially increase engagement of customers in apps, because let's face it, apps for energy companies, they're not Facebook, they're not things that you want to continually check through your life and gain validation from doing that. So what, what sort of things can be done to help improve engagement in, in these sorts of channels? I suppose there's probably two different things here for me. One is um, the online community and the app are, are two quite different things in the way in which you'd engage. The community is based around, you know, what's the what's the purpose of the business? Why Why would I gather in this community to talk about energy? What are the sort of key issues and certainly you know that the likes of pure planet and bulb and octopus it's about net zero it's about you know creating a better future for the planet and, and our children and you can easily you know gather around that and talk about that in a community setting so it's i suppose it's starting off with you know what's the purpose of our business and engaging people on on that basis and that was something that certainly uh, Pure Planet set out to do from the very beginning. Separately then for the app and the app engagement, it was all about what do we think people want to see? So why would a customer go away from calling or looking at their bill? What would we want to present on the app? We know they're not going to go into the app every day uh, as much as the app developers would love that. Who's going to want to do that? So, and this was pretty smart as well, of course. So even sort of a a daily update on your consumption wasn't really available at that point. So it's it's serving up what we think customers wanted. So to be instantly to be able to show, you know, what you're paying. Are you paying enough? When's your next bill due? Could you see the bill through the app? Some of those really basic things that you really need to understand. And if you're a new customer coming in, 
do you know where you are in that joining process? You know, if you've ever had a, a Domino's pizza delivered or any other sort of takeaway, knowing where you are in the journey and, and you know, seeing that, that, that car on its way to you, it's, it's just a, a wonderful sort of infograph of, you know, building up excitement uh, and, and engagement in, in where you are in the process. I think it depends on the, I guess, the digital tool as to how you build up engagement. And the thing that we would always talk about at Pure Planet was, you know, never overestimate how interested people are in, in energy, you know, o- overall, um, because most people just want to know, are they paying the right amount? When's my next bill due? All those really simple things before they then exit the app and go back to their own sort of social media things on their phone. Yeah, absolutely. I think some of the way that engagement could be improved is just by using the data and more intelligently and more usefully and pulling data from smart devices, not just from smart meters. And that process, providing people with more information that's useful for them and ensuring that what's being put in front of them can help them to make good decisions about for start, you know, their own uses of products in the house or devices that in the house, uh, and also potentially, you know, which companies they want to move to as well. Yeah, I'd agree. I, the way I look at data is there's two types of data. There's data that's sort of useful, and then there's data that's actionable. So with this data, I can do something. So I'm either running around the house turning all the lights off, or I'm deciding to change my tariff. So I guess a great example of that is octopus is time of use tariff. So, you know, knowing that in some cases, charging your car up in a given time period, you get paid for that. I mean, again, two, three years ago, that concept was a theory and not something that we thought we would get to. Similarly, you know, you've got social energy as a as a company where you've got the sort of the battery connected to the solar panel on the roof. And those guys, there's a, a number of those customers that have bought into that concept that are now being paid for the energy that they're giving back to the grid. You know, it's, it's yeah. just a, a, a one wonderful investment in that sort of energy. Yeah, I think there's a really exciting future where you have the potential for people to be charging batteries, whether it's a fixed battery in the home or a battery in your electric vehicle, at a point where the tariff, the, the price you're paying for your energy is, is, is very low or perhaps even free, or even you're getting paid to uh, take uh, energy from the grid. And using that when prices are high for your own purposes, or even going through a kind of peer-to-peer process where you could sell it to other users who are perhaps in a position where they just need energy and, and you've got it and you don't need it yourself. Yeah, um, yeah, and I, I think yeah. the the idea of, of more community based energy companies starts to bubble under with an idea like that, where you've got you know local villages that invest in in this sort of technology, and, and certainly here in Wales, there's quite a lot of work being done on retrofitting of housing stock. So there's a new company called Zero, so S E R O Housing. They're helping a lot with um, retrofitting of, of technology that helps with this sort of ambition and you can imagine sort of you know that sort of housing stock becoming you know they almost become an energy supplier in their own right yeah it's interesting what you were saying before about companies differentiating themselves 
And obviously, there's a way of differentiating yourself by price. You can price yourself as the lowest in the market, and you can get lots of customers through price comparison websites. But that's you know a particular road that you you can't continue to go down if you want to remain profitable as a as a company. What kind of things do you think are possible to be done, or do you think it's perhaps potentially the way ahead for companies to be much clearer about what they stand for, the values they hold to to engage with with customers in the energy market? So tying up what you were talking about earlier about data and engagement and how you you go out there looking for customers initially that look like they would be interested in your principles and your values and using that data to go and find those. And that was certainly something if you're if you're not going to use the switching sites, you've got to market yourself directly to those people and use that data to to find the, the sort of the de- the right demographics to, to find those people. But yeah, I think differentiating yourself on that basis is where the industry going and and I think a few years ago we started talking about green energy, green gas and, and green electricity. But now, you know, just a few years later, that's a hygiene issue. If you don't have a, a net zero tariff or a green tariff now, you're sort of a little bit out on a limb. You're a little bit of an outlier in in this industry, which, you know, again is a is a great place for us to be. And there's more talk now about is it proper green or is it greenwashing? And consumers are understanding that. And those that really believe in the idea and really believe in the principle of, of certain businesses now they'll they won't really engage with people that are that are greenwashing. I think that the likes of Good Energy have done a great job in explaining that to consumers. They did a piece uh, a year or two ago where they were challenging Shell Energy that overnight went from you know a brown tariff to a green tariff just by purchasing uh, green certificates effectively, and they they Good Energy really kind of held them to account for that, which I thought mm. was a you know an interesting interesting sort of dynamic in the marketplace for one energy supplier to challenge another on their green credentials. Yeah, I wonder if you could tell us a bit about some of the um, energy suppliers you're working with at the moment and what sort of challenges they're having. Yeah, I mean, cost of service is still a big issue. You know, it's a marketplace that is highly complex and that the regulator is doing its utmost to make the market competitive whilst looking after the consumer. And that sometimes is at odds. So I think a great example is the energy bill, which can be five or six pages long. And almost every single thing in that bill is mandated by the regulator to say, well, we want you to put these things in there. Some of it is for information that is absolutely necessary for the consumer to understand how they're using their, their supply. But some of it is is for them to be able to switch. So there's a QR code on the bill. There's the projected energy on the bill. There's a tariff on the bill. And all of these things are, are ways in which you can use to switch away. But providing all of this information and dealing with questions off the back of, you know, a consumer having a five-page bill sent out to them or, or either by email or by post, you can imagine that just creates a lot of questions. And if you start having to speak to people, either by digital means or even by telephone, that's a cost. That's a so so cost to serve and managing that balance between a, a sort of a competitive cost to serve whilst keeping service levels really good and, and making sure that you don't appear 
uh, towards the the bottom end of a of a sort of a league table within sort of citizens advice so you can imagine if you're a, a consumer looking to switch you go to the switching sites you see oh this is a wonderful price and then you research that company and you see them towards the lower end of a, a which survey or citizens advice because the service isn't good that's going to sort of call into question whether you want to switch to them so i think cost of service definitely one of the biggest ones more recently and certainly with the sort of winter that we, we've just gone through i think it's called into question the trading side of things within any business one or two of the recent companies that, that went into the supplier of our resort process seemed on the surface to be you know growing quite nicely they were in the hundreds of thousands of, of customers that they were supporting they'd been running for a number of years but they they got their hedging approach wrong and they were trading in a way that wasn't sort of safe when it came to a harsh winter so again you, know, you can set up an energy business with wonderful intent to look after consumers go for things digitally but if you don't have all of the sort of working areas looked after so trading cash into the business reviewing consumers direct debits managing the service in a way that is keeping your cost to serve low do you provide a contact center are people able to work from home do you manage having a large office and and you know particularly in the, in these covid times managing all of that that's the challenge and that's why this market is i think quite unique in how complex it is because people come into the market looking to provide a, something that's different and then realizing, oh, wow, there's all this other crazy stuff over here where you've got to deal with this behemoth of an industry in the middle of it that controls all the data and all these industry parties before you really get to the really exciting stuff of, of serving a customer. Yeah, cost to serve. It's the, um, the metric that continually crops up in the energy sector, isn't it? Uh, if you could change one thing in the energy sector, what would it be? I was having a, a conversation on LinkedIn yesterday with somebody I knew who was talking about the way that complaints are managed uh, in this industry. And I've not been involved in any business that has gone out of their way to knock customers off, to yank anybody's chain, to mismanage anything. Yet, yet as an industry, we're not well known for managing complaints very well. And that's a proper head scratcher as to how everybody goes at this with the best of endeavours and, and everybody wants to be the best at managing complaints. Yet we still end up in this situation. And, and when you look at it, there's a number of complaints that take months to resolve. And that often is because at the core of it, as the energy supplier, you, you cannot resolve it. You are reliant on the, the industry data. You're reliant sometimes on the previous supplier or even the previous previous supplier to get it right and to try and explain that to the customer that just wants their query resolved they don't care who's to blame or whatever and having to explain that you've got to go and speak to the data aggregator or the data collector or the previous supplier it just beggars belief so for me if we could fix anything it's the quality of data that sits at the heart of this industry that allows the data to flow correctly from one supplier to the next. But equally, the quality of that data you can rely on 100% of the time. That means that when you go to bill that customer for the first time, you can be confident that it's the correct bill and you've got all the consumption history that's come with them because as a customer, 
you know, I just assume that, well, hang on, you know how much I use, don't you? Why can't I give permission from one energy supplier to another to say, hey, give, give them my billing history because that helps them serve me better. And in the long run, you know, I, I might be switching around, but, but in the long run, I'm, I'm the consumer. I'd like that, please. So for me, one thing to fix the quality of the data within the heart of the system that makes it easier for the consumer, allows the energy suppliers to fix complaints that don't last months and sometimes in, into, into a year to fix something just to get a bill out of the door. I mean, it's just bonkers. So that's all for this episode. So thank you very much to Ian Parry for talking to me today and sharing his experiences. I hope you found it useful. We'll be recording many more podcasts over the coming weeks, and we'll be continuing with the theme of energy for many of those, as well as interviewing exciting guests from the world of business and technology. So until next time, thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon. You've been listening to The Tech Entrepreneur, brought to you by ClearSky, the digital transformation agency for scale-ups and established business who believe you don't need to be held back by technology. Whether you need software to help your customers self-serve, a mobile app to manage customer engagement, or automation to make sure your staff are spending time on what matters most, ClearSky provides dedicated software development teams in the UK ready to take on your next project. Find out more at clearskylogic.com dot com.